Welcome. Thank you, everybody, for coming to this session today. I appreciate you taking time out. I know you have a lot of sessions to go to. Um, this one, what we're going to focus on here is we're going to talk a little bit about when you're going through your journey to the cloud. There's a lot of decisions that you have to make. You know, do you refactor? Do you lift and shift? Um, how do you balance that change with what you actually have to do? Uh, we're going to talk about how AWS Managed Services helps leverage that, or the things that we leverage to actually help customers with that journey. But probably more important than all of that is we actually have Mike Bandy and Arjun Manavalan who are with us from Sally May. Uh, so I could talk to you about our service, but it's always better to hear it from a customer perspective. Last year at this time, they were in the throes of their migration, so they weren't able to come here. But it actually worked out a little bit better because now we have them here this year, and we actually can see the outcomes of what they've done a year later, how that worked, what they would have done differently, um, what they enjoyed about it. And so they can share those lessons with you. What we're going to kind of go through um, real quick. I can get my slides. Um, the, the actual agenda here, I'm going to talk real quick in the beginning, um, kind of share with you the current state patterns that we're seeing as customers are starting on their journey, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, talk a little bit about the transformation flywheel as far as from what we see from an AMS perspective and the five things that we do to help accelerate that. And then I'm going to turn it over to, to Mike and Arjun, and they're actually going to tell you their story and hear how they went through this journey and what outcomes they got. So this is probably not uncommon to most of you if you've at varying states in your journey. Customers that what we're hearing from them from an enterprise standpoint is businesses are looking for more agility. They want to do things faster. They want to see more results from their IT organizations. But the cost, we want to also continue to drive costs down. We don't want to expand it. So it's how can you provide that agility? How can you continue to reduce the cost so you can optimize? At the same time, we're moving into an environment where availability is key. More 24 by 7, it's no more kind of the Monday through Friday type thing. People are expecting systems available all the time with resiliency, having the security, and so that comes into play. Also then, layer on top of all of that, how can you help provide innovation? It's how can IT and technology really add that business value back by innovating on the way that you provide your services? So these are all the things that our customers are dealing with. So what we do from an AWS managed services perspective is try to help customers be able to focus on the things that matter for their business while we'll take over some of the undifferentiated lifting. So next section here, I'm going to talk a little bit about what that flywheel looks like. But maybe before I actually go into talking about the flywheel itself, some of you may or may not be familiar with what AWS Managed Services is. So I'm going to briefly kind of go through that for you. So at a high level, what, what we have is AWS Managed Services 
builds, we use AWS services, so it's built on all a curated set of services that we have. We build a secure landing zone. We're very prescriptive about that landing zone because we're operating it on behalf of customers. We actually have automation. We have over 90% of our services is automated, so we're able to help drive costs down for our customers for the infrastructure operation on their behalf. We're staffed with people, so we have AWS cloud experts that can help you figure out how best to leverage the services that we have in an ongoing basis. Then the, the other part that we have, and I, I think I hit on it, but it's the ongoing cost optimization. Projects are great, you actually get to use the services, but then you're, and, and we'll hear about this as you guys talk about how you've done this a year later, it's you wanna continually optimize it as you learn more about what the service is doing. And so what we're there to do is help understand your workloads, help understand what your business is trying to do, and then help you optimize, all in the point to bring the cost down. Um, we actually look at it, so how the model is set up, it's a month to month, so it's not a long-term contract and it's consumption-based. So it allows that flexibility for businesses to put the control back in your hands. You can have as much or as little as you need from a support standpoint. A lot of words talking about what it is, so real tactically speaking, these are the areas that we focus on provisioning infrastructure, so things like EC2, uh, security and compliance. We have our landing zones built up with the security measures in place and have the controls mapping, so you can then layer on top of it things that are specific to the organization. We have default monitoring and alerting. We, um, for those of you who maybe have experienced it, from a monitoring standpoint, the key is being able to tune those, uh, those monitoring and the alert to know when you actually have to respond and when it's just maybe some noise. So how do you filter that out? We have the experience of doing that, so we do that on your behalf. Then we give you the insights to tell you how you're actually using it, where you have things that may be sitting for a period of time, uh, perhaps some EBS snapshots that are hanging out there because we, we just keep snapping and we're not actually putting a life cycle policy on it, as well as operational aspects. So things like patching and backup. Um, you know, I had a conversation last night when I was talking to somebody, it's like, yeah, but we're in the cloud. And the cloud is great, but you still have to patch things. You still have compliance controls that you have to put in place. So we take care of that from an AWS managed service standpoint. So you can use your highly valuable resources to focus on those application things, those items that are specific to your business, the IP that you want to retain. Uh, additionally, our entire system, we have change management around it. So while um, depending upon the persona where you're coming from, this helps with your compliance and to be able to demonstrate evidence of control. You can show who does what and when. Uh, as well as we cover incident management, so working with your organization, we actually will monitor for the incidents. We will participate in your calls. So that helps focus that way when you're just getting started sometimes or it's a I don't want my resources to work on that. Will you guys take the front line? So we do that. Um, there's a, it's a slight subtlety, and we were talking about this before. It's a fit for purpose versus fit for use. AWS has a ton of great services that provide a lot of capabilities for, for organizations as they put them together. 
but what we actually want to make sure we also do is are they fit for use? So things like SLAs and am I actually meeting my availability needs? This is a little bit where AMS comes into the play. We help provide the people, process, and tooling for those items that are in the fit for use standpoint. So how does this flywheel kind of start? Generally speaking, how we see the flywheel start is there's migration that happens. And the first thing that we come into from an AMS perspective is we come with the security and compliance um, as a solution. So we know how we're going to operate it, so we are prescriptive in bringing that solution to you up front. Uh, I generally will refer to this as we shift left with security and operations instead of waiting for it at the end when Potentially somebody might say, no, you can't actually, you can't promote it to production. We think about it from the beginning and we help you think about it. As well as we kind of have the discussions and I think you guys will get in on a little bit of light replatforming. Some of the things our customers do, um, they may have some things that, some OSs that might be out of date or they haven't really patched them in a while. And so we'll talk about those things and what the cloud enables is the ability to experiment a little bit with those things. What this tends to do is it allows you to actually move into optimizing now. So now you've migrated some things, you have your security and controls in place, you've done a little light replatforming, so now we're gonna optimize. And what this does from an AMS standpoint, we give you that transparency. So you can determine, hey, should I start right-sizing my instances? I they're now there, I wanna see how they're gonna operate. Uh, I may wanna look at having reserved instances. What that ends up fueling usually is, okay, now I'm gonna have additional migrations that are going to occur. Then I start thinking about it. Now I'm getting comfortable with how this is gonna work, so I start using, I wanna modernize, and I may start looking at using things like RDS or Aurora as my databases are out there and figuring out what makes sense for my business needs. So AMS helps provide those guardrails so you can experiment with potential, you know, not exposing things out there. So we give you that environment and again the people and the automation to help you work through that. Which ends up starting to fuel the innovation so now you're thinking about it on your own and you're, you're coming up with some net new things that you're actually developing out there. So this is a cycle that you continue. It's not a one and done. Migration is just the start of that journey when you're doing it. You're continuing to pick up speed. You're helping your organization. You're innovating. You're helping to solve for those things that we pointed out up front. And what this really amounts to is it's a transformation that your organization is going through. It started with the migration, but you're now into a transformational state. And this continues, and we follow this around. So I went through that section fairly quick, but probably what's more important and what will be great to be able to share is the story that, that Mike is going to go through. Let you know a little bit about Sally Mae, what they went through, who they are, because they actually went through this, this transformation journey and the flywheel, and they're continuing to do that, and so we get to hear their story. Great, thank you, Barb. Yep. So again, uh, my name is Mike Bandy. I'm a Vice President of Infrastructure and Operations at Sally Mae Bank. Um, as you can tell, most of you probably are aware of us. We are in the student loan industry specifically. Um, we're a bank with a purpose. You know, we want to empower families to responsibly pay for college. Um, of which we, we have very good success rates with that as well. 
Um, additionally, we're looking to start to move into more complementary consumer product offerings, which most recently, uh, about two months ago, we launched a credit card public, a credit card product more publicly. So a little bit about who we are um, and our, kind of our, uh, where we're going. Um, just like most other companies uh, these days, we've got uh, many business imperatives that we're trying to accomplish. Um, first and foremost for us, I think, is the digital transformation. We're trying to get our products um, more into the digital world. If you look at our demographics about who we, who we target, which is the uh, college-aged students, they grow up in the digital world. So we want to make sure that our products um, meet their needs and meet their expectations, even more importantly. Um, customer experience has become very important to us. Um, we, we have strived to continue to improve our customer experience, both with what we deliver and how we deliver it as well. Um, this also includes a mobile-first mindset, um, so that, again, um, all of us know, you know your iPhone, your, your Android device, those are the devices people are becoming more comfortable with um, as they're wanting to conduct their business, whether it's to make a payment, uh, find out balance, find out, find out payoff, things of that nature. So having that digital uh, experience um, on a mobile device that, and again, with, our, with the demographics that we are working towards, is imperative for us to continue to, to do business. Um, a little bit more internally, what we're trying to do also is uh, continue to drive more uh, personalization, especially in our marketing space. Um, we've recently hired a new CMO, and, and so one of the things that uh, her goals are is to get our, our marketing um, technology uh, modernized, um, grow it with our, with, as we try to look for new products and start to target those products as well. In addition, we're also trying to continue to grow um, our customer, relation, customer relationship management platform. So business agility, let me build this slide out. Um, so, so really, when we look to move to the cloud, one of the things that we wanted to do was uh, improve costs or get more efficient with our costs. So again, moving to the cloud, moving to AWS allowed that. In addition, as we're working with, and Barb alluded to this, where um, AWS Managed Services is a consumption-based model. So not only is the cloud platform consumption-based, but so are the charges and, and how we operate and work with um, work with Amazon Managed Services. But more importantly, what that allows us to also do is not have to worry about the day-to-day -day, um, dirty work or grunt work, as I call it. My folks don't have to worry about the patching, for example. All we have to do is manage when do we want those patching events to occur, were they successful, et cetera, et cetera. They're the ones, um, unfortunately, that are up at late night on Saturday night into Sunday morning making sure that the patching's occurring, and we're seeing great success with that as well, which I believe Arjun's gonna talk about here in a little bit. Um, so again, why, why uh, AWS Managed Services? So again, we talked a little bit about um, our, my staff's ability to focus on the value add stuff. Um, I call it the thought leadership. We allow, it allows my staff to help focus on what, what Sally May needs to accomplish in the cloud so that we're not having to worry about those day-to-day -day activities. Um, and again, it's back to the undifferentiated um, um, activities within the infrastructure. So they've got experience. I don't have to feel like I'm inventing or my staff have to continually invent the wheel. They've got multiple customers who are doing the same thing. So they've already, chances are they've already seen it, done it, and been there. That way they've got it optimized um, and as efficient as possible so that they can deliver a high quality service for us. Um, one other thing that uh, we liked about um, AWS or Amazon Managed Services was, again, it's not a long-term commitment. We just made a long-term commitment to AWS as a cloud platform, but from a managed service provider, it allowed us to make a quick decision with a quality partner 
um, and if and not get locked in long term as we were doing the migration. So I'm happy to I'm pleased to say that since the migrations completed the over the last year, that service has still com continued to be superior, and we continue to be very happy with that. Even though we have potentially 30-day notice to move on to somebody else. Um, but at this point, we continue to be very happy with that service. Um, so I'll let Arjun dig into more of the, the details and, and the flywheel as it uh, went into action. So somebody go, sir. Thank you, Mike. So as Barb pointed out, uh, I, by the way, I'm Arjun Manavalan, uh, Director of Cloud Engineering for Sally Mae. So as, as Barb pointed out, uh, the flywheel in action is pretty pretty important for, for getting, uh, getting us to the cloud. So some of you, uh, most of you should have attended uh, Andy Jassy's session this morning, right? Uh, some of these themes are probably very, very similar to what he stated, right? Um, setting the goal for the company, right? From an executive, executive uh, buy-in perspective, our CIO, Dan Kennedy, who's here, uh, along with the executive team, approved and said, here, let's go to the cloud. And they set a timeline, you know? Uh, initially, we thought like, my gosh, that's an unrealistic timeline, right? Uh, but he has a unique, uh, way of encouraging us to say, yes, you can do it. Um, so we had over a thousand workloads. Uh, we, had, we had a bunch of other things as well, but uh, I mean, as far as AMS was concerned, we had about a thousand workloads. We had various partners, just like any other bank, we had hundreds of partners, right, if you will, under an exaggeration, but you know, we had close to about 50, plus all the other schools and everything else that we needed to communicate with. Uh, we had an existing managed service provider, right? So we needed to have them engaged. We also had a migration partner apart from AMS. Prior to AMS, that's the partner we had, uh, you know, that we're working with. So that's typically how AMS works. You get a migration partner, work with them to get our workload into the cloud. So uh, over over a thousand workloads, about a hundred plus applications, um, and, and we had to prioritize all of this. There's a lot of lot of different moving parts. There's a change in the operating model. Well, you know, here's what we did all these years. How is it going to be in the future, right? All these different changes, new tool, new tooling, new technologies, right? And going into the cloud, you can't operate with the existing old, um, you know, uh, software that you had to manage infrastructure. Automation is king. So we said yes, let's do it, right? And here are the key things: security operations, uh, as Barb mentioned earlier on, the light replatforming, re and the light replatforming sometimes could be a little uh, aggressive. Uh, and we, we took on the challenge, you know, the team was pretty helpful. AMS was along, uh, alongside with us throughout the process and uh, was able to work and, and help us in every step of the way. Um, so, you know, now it's all said and done. You know, we, we did a nice trip to Seattle, worked with those folks, at, uh, nice folks at AMS, came back, you know, presented and said, let's start. We weren't sure we were ready, but you know, we, we said, yes, we, we can do it. So, uh, the, the flywheel part, you know, we can push and make all that work. Um, I, I really wasn't this uh, heavy, you know, prior to this, the migration. Um, so we had all of this, uh, you know, almost every week, every weekend, uh, and, and, you know, 24 seven, there were some parties involved too. Uh, so that's what made people work. So how do we make this successful? So we chose a few guiding principles to make us successful in this process. Um, so the key was to start with day two operations in mind, right? Day two operations, when I say day two operations, include security and compliance. As Barb mentioned earlier, shift left. Think about those things earlier on. It doesn't matter how good a product you deliver. If you do not have a good support system, it's not going to be successful. So as we entered into this migration part, we said, well, migration is not the end of it, right? How do we operate? How do we optimize in the cloud? That was, that was key for us. And you know, so we, we built in the tools for, for security and, and compliance along with AMS. 
Uh, we added on tools and AMS was you know, happy enough to integrate those things with it. Uh, and the key, some of the key tools you, you guys might have heard, Dome 9 and FireEye um, you know, for our SIM products and, and all the monitoring along with what, what AMS provided. So uh, with, with that, the, the second part was to automate everything, right? Coding is king, get your staff to program. Um, you, you know, that's the, that's the key for success. Everybody is a programmer in the cloud, right? That is how you can accomplish and achieve scale. Um, so anything that we did once, we automated. Anything we did twice, we automated. There was nothing that was left that was done manually. Uh, transparency is key and uh, in, in forefront. Why? Because your customer, internal customers are going to be uh, you know, exposed to newer things in the way they operate. And, and, and we wanted to make sure that that was communicated ahead of time. Hey, here is the difference. Here's what you did for the last 20 years, and here's what we're gonna do in the cloud along with AMS. So ITSM was still key to all this legacy delivery, right? So the first thing AMS did, AMS provided a ServiceNow integration for us, uh, and we also integrated our Ansible platform tool with it. So every request that our internal folks made went through ServiceNow. And every ticket that we opened was an RFC, you know, it went through ServiceNow. And that integration was, was pretty key to make our customer, internal customers feel comfortable and, and get, get there. Yeah, Arjun, if I might add, that was our existing ServiceNow instance. So that way our customers, we'd been using ServiceNow for about five years. They were already accustomed to the way we had it set up. So basically that integration allowed them right. to have that same look and feel, but then those tickets behind the scenes with the integration then got cut over to, to AMS. That's so. right, that's right. Thank you, Mike. That was very key. So. The, the, the you know, transition was pretty smooth to say. Uh, next is, as you go through the migration, we built a lot of muscle memory. You know, our teams continued working every weekend and every time they did a migration, they learned more things and they automated every, everything they encountered, every issue they encountered, they automated and, and accepted you know, the, 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 the changes in it. Um, and, and, and the transformed ways uh, in which you work, right? So that was pretty key to us. This is a big paradigm shift going to the cloud, right? So we worked with AMS in changing a variety of things and you'll see some of those benefits here shortly, right? Again, automation is king, coding is king, make all of your staff program. And AMS provides a lot of support throughout the process, right? It's very, very important. They expose a lot of APIs. Um, you can integrate with whatever tool you use. We chose an Ansible. Uh, you guys can choose whatever you want to and it's pretty, pretty effective. So, uh, well, you know, we did all of that, but what did we get out of it? So here's some good news, right? So we, we did all of this in time, in record time. We started in August, and the reason we weren't able to make last year's uh, reInvent was because we were doing a migration and we didn't want to, you know, get people out and, and uh, you know, break the, break the rhythm. Um, and uh, we already conducted three disaster recovery tests. As you know, we're a bank and we're obligated to do disaster recovery, both from a compliance perspective and from an operational perspective. We had done three tests and iterating over th the third time, we're now about 50% faster than what we started. And, so. and I might add to that, Arjun, we did our last migration, production migration, the first weekend of December. We did our first disaster recovery test three months later in, in mid to early March. Um, and out, out of the gate, AMS was a huge partner of making sure that that test was successful. So, so that 50% improvement was over that first test in March. That first test in March, let me, let me be clear, was extremely successful and hit all of our RTO and RPO objectives that we'd stated and actually surpassed it. But even then, AMS became part of my team and built on that so that by the time we got to our third test um, in October, 
we were we were able to make that improvement, which gives us confidence that uh, in the event of a real disaster, we can we can achieve uh, what we've stated as our goals. So so very important out of the gate, AMS was there with us, making sure that that test was successful, and they took it as a challenge. Um, on the next two tests, basically, to get even better with further automation as they learned our environment. That is right, Mike. And in the last uh, disaster recovery test, when that was done, um, you know, we heard from AMS folks, they were walking in the hallways, high-fiving yeah. each, you know, and how fast it was. And, and we were like a, uh, you know, poster child for how, how much we've come, yeah. come along and how quickly we were able to achieve that um, because of AMS. And they were able to automate so that we, we basically will recover the entire environment. We can test pieces of it but the ability to automate and make it look like one big test, regardless of which part you want to test, that, that was also cool too. So that way we don't have to worry about, oh, we only tested that piece. Well, we recover the entire environment so we know it works regardless of what we test. That's so. right, that's pretty key. So we were also able to achieve our cost savings, which, which Mike had mentioned, that was one of the objectives, even though it was not a bigger objective, our primary objective was the agility and, and what the cloud brings to, to more, do more digital transformation. Uh, we were able to achieve our uh, cost savings for the first year. Uh, we reduced downtime for patching. So anytime we did maintenance or patching, that was a significant improvement. And at the old times, and anytime we did patching, we had to be off the air, we had to do a variety of different things, bring down systems. We still do bring down systems that are legacy systems because we did a lift and shift into the cloud. However, the, the time that we're down is much, much lesser. And here's another key thing. So while we reduced the down, you know, downtime, the, the quality of patching you know, and compliance went way up, right? We are up about 90% plus compliant every patching cycle. In the legacy world, you know, when you patch, you know, your window is X number of hours. After it's done, you got to bring things up. If you have issues, anytime you patch, you typically tend to have some issues, right? And you run out of patching window, so you bring the system up, even if patching fails on some of the systems. This world, with the, the time we gained by the speed at which AMS can patch, we're now able to give it back to say, all right, let's fix anything that failed. And, and that's what improved our, our patching posture and compliance posture. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, you know, we have about, we've achieved about 30% reduction in spend. Uh, we're continuing to do better with, with the help of uh, AWS and AMS, uh, kind of like steering us in the right direction of what we need to uh, reserve, if you will, from an EC2 instance perspective, what other services we can explore. And we've done explored quite a few services with the help of AMS. Um, an improved application performance. Uh, one, of, one of the key things for, for us is scalability and application performance improvement. Uh, in a physical data center, you know, you scale for peak all the time, right? That's where you buy everything. And, and when, when we're in AWS, now our, our business is, uh, is cyclical, right? So we have a, a summer peak, uh, which lasts about two and a half months, and a winter peak, which lasts about a month and a half, uh, with a very sharp, you know, couple of weeks. So for during those periods, we don't have to go buy new hardware or we don't have to size for the full year. We just sized up when we needed and we brought it down after we were done. And again, AMS was able to help us. All of those things are automated. All those RFCs, anything you submit to AMS is, is automated. Um, and one of the, one of the key things uh, which, which I had just recently gone through was an audit uh, for a key system that we're building. And the auditors wanted to see like how fast, you know, what we're operating with AMS. And first they requested, hey, can you show me an example of when you guys submitted a request, you know, or to show like how we were using them to build an EC2 instance for in this case, for example. Uh, so I provided that. And then a couple of weeks later, they came and said, well, we want to see how they handle an incident. So, you know, provided another example of that incident. And they came back again and said, all right, now we want to see you submit a request where you asked for a change in, you know, uh, and how, how soon they, you know, provisioned it. So in this case, it was a, a provisioning of an, EC, an EBS volume on that. Um, 
So I'm like, I, I looked at the RFC, I'm like, well, it says it was done right away, uh, but they, they wouldn't buy it. Uh, they're like, well, you need to show something. So, you know, we were able, with the help of AMS, we were able to look when the resource was created and, and showed the logs. And I, I put a small, uh, you know, table together and showed it was done in 31 seconds. Um, that was pretty much a mic drop moment. I'm like, I'm done. The auditors had no more questions after that, right? So that is pretty good, you know, from where we were in a legacy infrastructure and in a physical data center, would have taken a day. The best case would have been four hours if you had everybody, all the stars lined up. Um, you know, you know, most times it would take a day or two. Now it got done in less than 31 seconds. And I guess, Arjun, I'd like to add to that. The other thing about Amazon Managed Services that we've seen is on the security and the audit compliance, again, we're heavily regulated, both from external regulators as well as our internal audit department. And one of the challenges we've had with a previous partner was the timely return of evidence. It's a credibility issue if I can't provide evidence quickly. So, so what um, AWS Managed Services has done is anytime we make these requests, they're extremely fast with it. Um, to this point that I'm aware of, I'm not aware of any audit issues that have come from the work that they've done for us. So, so again, as Barb has mentioned, they do it securely and within compliance. Um, and we see evidence of that, I think almost daily, if not, uh, if not weekly, um, about being able to quickly return the evidence so the auditors can get uh, the answers that they need. And, and it's, the, it's the right work. Um, so we don't have to worry about it as much from an audit perspective or having to track them down for things. So again, very powerful story that we see um, almost weekly. And our teams were able to work with AMS throughout this process, right? So they were able to, as Mike mentioned, it's a thought leadership, right? Anything that we wanted, we said, hey, here is how we want this done. And, and, and AMS was more than willing to work with us and automate along with us, right? There were times we'd provide, here, is, here are the steps, here is how we automate. We provide code and they would work with us to get that executed and, and, and tailor, tailor it exactly the way you want it, right? So with the automation is where you achieve scale and they want to automate anything that they do more than once or twice, right? And they iteratively keep on automating any new requests. They look at patterns um, and, and we say, hey, all right, you know, this, this, this type of request is taking a little longer anytime it, requ you know, it requires a manual intervention. Say, for example, for firewall type of change. Even those over the last year, they've automated that part where just the review of that goes through a check, a human check, and the rest of it gets executed automatically. All right. Um, I had to mention about our, our uh, optimization and migration speed. Right. So um, put, put together this graph to kind of show, you know, we, we did not get to do the optimization uh, right away. And part of that, and we'll, we'll hear about our, our lessons learned. Uh, but when we were ready to do that, we got that very, we got there very quickly. Uh, so about three months after we finished the, the, the migration, the last migration uh, completed, we were able to work with the AWS and AMS folks uh, very quickly and, and, and fast. Uh, to get where we needed to be. Um, and, and just like anything else, right, be agile, iterate, partner with AMS, and, and, uh, and, and keep repeating this process. Our first migration weekend uh, was, was a crawl. Um, uh, was it really a crawl? Was it more of a belly crawl? Or... <laughs> so, I, I think crawl is being too, too uh, uh, generous. <laughs> that, that is, Mike is absolutely right. It was, it was more of a belly crawl. Um, and I was trying to be polite. It said it took three days. It took three full 24-hour days. Um, you know, it was painful, right? Because it's the first time we were doing it, uh, along with multiple partners. There were tons of people just watching it. Um, and, and, and anything we could hit, we hit the first week. Any issue, right? We encountered <laughs> all of versions. That. Yeah, no kidding. Right. Uh, but at the end of three days, you know, we're pretty, you know, we're pretty happy. All right, we got this done. Right, maybe we can do it. And we had some doubts, like, mm, this is going to work. Right, yeah, like Barb mentioned, 
Amos is very prescriptive, right? And it is okay to take that pain up front. When you go in, do all that work up front, it pays off in the back end. Uh, because now your system is pristine. It's, you know, that's a word I you know, tend not to use much, but it's pretty clean as you go in. Now, all the automation can take effect you know, day one. You don't have to worry about it. The, 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 the second iteration, uh, you know, by the third wave, uh, we were able to migrate about 20 workloads. Uh, you know, now in time, right, didn't take three, three days. We were able to complete it within the, the prescribed window of like 24 hours, so we were able to get that done. And by the time we were done with multiple iterations, you know, we were able to work with uh, AMS we, you know, and, our, and our migration partner. We also parallel path some other projects and, uh, and then migrated other workloads uh, along with AMS. And by the, by the time we get the last uh, uh, wave, we were able to run about 150 workloads way at a time, well ahead of time, and, and we were able to relax. We were like, we could not believe. I'm like, we got to go home now, right? What do we do now? We have all this time left. Um, and there was still some food left, so I ended up staying <laughs> back and eating. Um, here's, here's some pro tips. These are, these are some of the things that we, we learned, right? Uh, the key is uh, decision velocity is important. Uh, you can certainly revisit some of the uh, key principles that uh, AWS shares or Amazon shares, right? Uh, and every, every door is a two-way door, right? You can't, you have to let your teams make decisions. Uh, when you operate at high velocity, you don't want to be in the way of, uh, you know, double-checking every decision. So let your teams make the decision. The cloud gives you the flexibility. You make a mistake, you come back, you can fix it. It's not too difficult. Um, Understand what can be staged in advance, right? So if you have a, you know, an application, um, you know, with, with, that has about 100 different components, uh, plan things that can be migrated ahead of time. You don't need to do all on that weekend. Anything that can build ahead of time, and then flip over, do those and plan it. Right. Start optimizing. So as I mentioned, you know, the graph showed like we didn't optimize, optimize, boom, you optim optimized. Um, start optimizing the workload after the first workload is done, right? So as soon as you go in, so put that as a, as a flywheel process to make sure you optimize. Uh, I have a very uh, fond name at work uh, because of my uh, emphasis on tagging. Uh, that is very, very, very important. In the cloud, you will not know what is what unless you tag, right? Uh, I had a name tag, but it was taken out. I was, uh, they told me I can't wear it. I'm like, I'm at a loss, uh, right? So uh, every resource that you have tagged, that is how you can identify what spend is going where. Well, why do you care about what spend is going where? Two things, right? Troubleshooting issues is very important, and, and the way you troubleshoot things is with tags. And, and, why, and how do tags help there, right? So say your cost for some, some particular operation went way up. Now you'll know, if you tagged all the resources in the path, you will know exactly which component cost you most, and if there's an issue, it'll tell you this is where the issue was. Right, and the, the difference in, in your old physical data center and in the cloud, in the old days, in the physical data center, it's already old days for me now, right? Uh, just about a year, <laughs> year ago. <laughs> um, in, the, in the old days, when your application had an issue, it just ran slow in, in a physical data center, right? I mean, you all got on a call and tried to fix it, like try to put, throw more hardware at it or whatever. In the cloud, it doesn't run slow, it just costs more because it's going to spin up more resources, you know, it's going to consume all the resources and, and, and you'll find out later. So with tagging, and uh, you know, that's, that's how AMS operates here, right? Everything is tagged and you'll, al you'll always find AWS recommends here some 50 standard tags you can have or you know, they just give some guidelines and tag it appropriately the way you want it, your applications and what, what's relevant to you and what you need to troubleshoot. 
and automate everything, right? Even though I have that at the very end, right? That's the very first thing. Automate, automate, automate. Everybody's a programmer code. And Arjun, I think on the tag, everything, it's before you get even started, figure out what your tagging scheme looks like. How, how do you, right. even though you've got 50 potential or tagging opportunities, but you got to figure out that scheme, just like you would plan an IP address scheme and it's a new data center. That tagging scheme is important because if you get halfway through your migration and realize, oh, I didn't account for this, that, or the other, I've now got to retag everything. That, that's extra work that you may not, you're, you're not going to have time to do necessarily. So not only, not only do you want to tag everything, but come up with what that scheme or that standard will be, that naming standard, if you will. That's, that's right, Mike, that's right. All right, um, and I'm going to transition this uh, slide to Mike so uh, Mike can share some thoughts about uh, you know, what, we, what we would do different. Sure, sure. thanks Arjun. So, yeah, so the first thing that we would do if we had a magic wand, um, proof of concept. One of the things that I don't think we did very well, quite frankly, was um, the timeline, I think we had about two weeks, maybe four weeks at the most, between our proof of concept wave and our first wave. That, um, if I had to do it over again, I probably would have put it anywhere from six to eight weeks in between that. That way, if you did run into some challenges um, in your proof of concept, you had plenty of time to, to address those. For example, we had some versioning, uh, or we thought we were going to have some potential versioning issues um, with the way the ingestion process worked, and knowing that we only had about four weeks in between the proof of concept and, and kind of that first wave, uh, that was that was going to become a challenge for us. Now, fortunately for us, we were able to work around that very quickly and it became a non-issue. But had we had some other type of showstopper type issue, that four-week window that we had uh, would not have been enough. So I think we would have pushed that out probably closer to eight weeks if I could um, do it all over again. Um, so dedicated resources uh, to work through the finer details. So again make sure you've got the right people. And it's just not an infrastructure and operations thing, right? It's, it's your application folks. Um, now, the way we did it, we didn't have to have the entire app dev department involved every weekend. We try to group and plan our, our, our migrations with resources. One weekend would be a very finance or non-prod finance specific week. Two ways later, that's when we would do the prod version of it. Um, same thing goes with some of our other, other applications. We tried to bundle them in those different waves so that way we, we basically leverage the, our, our application team's resources in short bursts so that way they could continue to do what they needed to do, which was deliver value to the business by doing whether it's upgrades or new feature functionality within the application. So, but, but during those two to four weeks when you're doing those migrations with their particular applications, make sure they're dedicated to that and it's kind of a let's get in, get out kind of, thing, kind of an approach. So um, as Arjun mentioned earlier, parallel path, the workload. So we quickly learned um, about, how, I wouldn't say quickly, maybe halfway through, um, we could parallel some things, right? Start to get data um, staged if you could. Start to, um, especially like on web servers, for example, we didn't necessarily need to do a, a V2V or, or virtual to virtual conversion, right? Go ahead and build some of those servers ahead of time. So that way that takes the, the pressure off the weekend with the amount of infrastructure that you're trying to build. So see what you can parallel path as you're doing your ingestion process as well. Um, Prep partners and vendors with whiteboard sessions. So, so we, uh, and Arjun alluded to that, from a network perspective, we have probably about eight to 12 really key partners, as well as, as, well as all of our schools that we do data file transfers with. For the most part, I think we did a decent job of, of getting those folks ahead of time, but it was really more what we could have done a better job of is instead of basically making it look like just a network change, make sure that they understand what we're trying to accomplish and that it may not just be a network change, you know, we, we all know how that goes. I think it's just network change, but we realize there's some sort of firewall rule, load balancer challenge that 
um, they, if they have more information ahead of time, they can help you troubleshoot and kind of get those troubleshooting calls completed more quickly. Again, the way we did the, uh, the migrations, we would start on Friday night with uh, bringing down our production applications, complete the ingestion process or the data copies um, overnight Friday into Saturday and then do testing on Sunday. So if you follow that similar approach, which is uh, generally a, a best practice, you don't have a whole lot of time to be explaining to people, getting them up to speed. Oh yeah, we, we just cut over that to a different IP address scheme or space, how, I, but I'm still not able to connect to you. How, how can we work this? So ensuring that those folks, and again, doing it a week or two in advance is not enough time. You know, I, I would suggest you should look at it. With our partners, some of them needed at least a, a quarter or three months, three to four months notice, given that their peak seasons are in play as well. So make sure you're talking to your partners well in advance uh, of that. Um, and again, we talk, I spoke, spoke briefly about the build in parallel where possible. Again, you've got a finite, or at least we did, and, and I think most companies are this way, you've got a finite amount of time to get these activities completed. So the more that you can do with your team, with your migration partner, with uh, AWS Managed Services ahead of time, just continues to make that weekend go smoother. Because, um, you know, best laid plans, we all know how that works, right? Something's gonna happen. So the more work that you can test up front, get built up front, will ensure that you have a more successful migration weekend um, because, in the way that we did it, I felt almost like an NFL football coach, given that we were doing most of this in the fall, right? Those of you that are in the football fans, you know, you win on Sunday, celebrate Sunday evening, but guess what happens on Monday morning? You gotta get ready for the next opponent. And that's kind of how we felt as well. So the more that you can get uh, planned in, in advance of those weekends, makes those weekends go quicker and more successful so that you can quickly turn your focus on the next wave. And in our case, that was usually every other week. So again, keep the flywheel going. Um, so when we moved to the cloud, we were trying to debate, do we, do we make this a cloud native approach first or do we just get the infrastructure into the cloud and then start to do our application modernization? And through multiple conversations, it was get into the cloud first, get your infrastructure there, you can start to see the benefits. And we sort of talked about those benefits um, earlier in the slides. But now we can start to work on that flywheel in terms of getting what we call application modernization. So. So let's get better about what we're doing with the cloud. Again, we've got statistics on um, our major incidents. We've seen a 50% reduction in our data center provider. Um, we've seen our patching um, efficiencies, um, our DRs. So we're already seeing that in the flywheel, but also now we can start talking about application modernization, as I mentioned. So that way um, we can continue to get better. Again, we're excited. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to retire potentially 150 EC2 instances here in the next three to six months. I'm, I started my career as a Solaris admin. I, I can't wait till I stop talking about, or till we stop talking about servers. I don't have to worry about patching anymore. I don't have to worry about um, disk drives filling up or, or things of that nature. That still happens in the cloud, believe it or not, where you have file systems filling up. So, so keep the flywheel going, keep your optimization efforts going, whether that's, whether that's through application modernization or other opportunities. Another opportunity that we're really starting to look forward to is database modernization, or, or um, as, uh, as AWS calls it, database freedom. Um, so basically, and I think you, if you hear Andy Jassy talk, you know how, how fond of Oracle that he is. So I think that's kind of where that's uh, targeted towards. Uh, but start, we're starting to look at what we can do with our databases. How do we start looking at Aurora? Can we replace Oracle or Microsoft SQL Server? So we're in our infancy there. Potentially, who knows? We'll be back here next year, maybe talking about um, how successful those efforts are. But, but we've already run a couple of proof of concepts, and we're very optimistic about what we're wanting to do. Um, the challenge we're trying to figure out is, is, do we do that separately, or do we do that part of as, our, as part of our application modernization efforts? Um, but we know that getting there is, is important, and, and we should be successful, and it, it looks positive. Um, and then finally, you know, focus on, on the business enablement. Again, as I talked about earlier, 
AWS Managed Services allows all the blocking and tackling the basics to be completed so that myself, my team, our application development partners, we can all focus on the business enablement. Again, we're getting challenged constantly to go faster. Um, if I can let AWS manage my backups, manage my patching, manage my um, kind of lower tiered incidents, that means my team can be working with the business, we can be working with my application development colleagues and enabling their, their, their goals to get faster and get to deliver uh, more functionality, newer products, things of that nature. So that's how we continue to get better as well. So. So I think uh, this is where I turn it back over to you, Barb, so. Sure. I was gonna say, I think these are some of the things actually that um, you guys are, have experienced and you, you've heard about it a little bit in the conversation here. You're getting those operational efficiencies and what, at least from my standpoint, what's been kind of fun to watch with sure. you guys, they talk about it really easy up here, about like, yeah, hey, this is what we did on the slide. That was all in like a five to seven month window that they were doing all of those migrations and making those decisions and experimenting with different things. And then since that time, like you guys have actually, I was like, wow, this really works. Um, I've, I've drawn the flywheel and I've worked with customers and I see them do it, but it's been really fun to watch how you guys have gone through this because and, you continue to get operational efficiency. And I think one of the other things, again, we kind of glossed over, we didn't really talk about, but I, I think our senior business leadership we're pleasantly surprised that uh, Monday mornings after migrations, we didn't really have any major incidents. Um, right. And so this was all done successfully. And, and, and that's why the, also the day two um, is also important um, as well. And that's why we continue to look forward to, to what the, the partnership that we have. Absolutely. And then when we start talking about the modernizing of the applications, and, and I brought it out when we were looking at the flywheel, it was kind of interesting during the migration. Um, I think Arjun came probably midway through one of the, the waves that they're doing. He's like, hey, I want to do one on the side here. I'm not going to use my migration partner, but I think I got this. And was like, okay, hey, we'll support you with that. So they actually you saw that flywheel going. They started migrating things with their own team and building that memory muscle on doing it. And it wasn't at the end. They started experimenting midway through, and, and you're continuing to do that That's right. now. So. That's right, Bob. And one of the key things is, I mean, you know your systems better than yeah. any migration right. partner can ever do, right? So leverage your team and, and help them be part of this journey, right? Yeah. And it, it'll make your life a lot better and a lot smoother to sell. Get engaged at the very beginning, right, and, and be part of this journey. Uh, and, and think about day two operations and how things are going to be. And, and AppMod is, is a great way to kind of end the journey, if you will, which is a never-ending journey. It's right? a new chapter. It's a new chapter, as Andy Andy Jazzy mentioned this morning. And I think this, you know, we didn't we didn't we didn't get to see Andy Jazzy's presentation ahead of this morning, but a lot of those you know uh, key uh, attributes what he mentioned this morning are in, in what we presented and what we've done so far. We could certainly see ourselves. It's um. It's absolutely been great working with you guys. Um, I like actually watching to see what, what's next because um, you are starting to actually, I think, work on some net net new applications. Uh, again, like we talked about in Flywheel, that, so you're experimenting with cloud native applications as well, which really goes to how are you able to help innovate from your business standpoint. IT is becoming an enabler for Sally Mae and being able to come up with creative ways to do things. 
So kind of, um, I want to quickly go through the recap, and we've gone through it a little bit um, in here, but we started the premise with what that flywheel is and what are the five different ways and how AMS actually helps enable that. And I think actually you guys touched on it probably better than I could in going through it. But this is the recap, and we went through kind of, like we said, shift left with security and operations. Don't make it an afterthought. Address those things up front. And I think your slides pointed to it. It was, I, th I think you referred to it as the belly crawl uh, um, up front. <laughs> it's a little slow on your ramp. Expect that. That's the way it goes through in a migration. But when you're actually doing that, you do start picking up speed. And you saw yeah. that kind of hockey stick approach at the end there where you went from one application over three you know, days or whatever to 100 and some odd in a weekend, and it was really a non-event, or at least it felt that way from our <laughs> standpoint, how's that? Um, and it was because you understood the security and the operations standpoint, because we, I, I remember we actually had to do a, you know, evidence of controls. It was, yeah. hey, Arjun calling up and saying, hey, compliance wants this, can you get it for me? Is that gonna be a problem? And I was like, well, no, that's not a problem, let's do that. But we thought about it up front, and so that, that that partnership worked really well. The light replatforming, you actually were kind of de-risking by actually replatforming some things. You're, you're doing a little modernization. And we say light because it's not wholesale, but there are some things that you can actually do. The third thing is that transparency both the good and the bad. There are things where sometimes it's like, nope, you can't do that and here's why, always explaining the whys. And then you actually were able to make some decisions to help from a business standpoint. We also started looking at, hey, you guys are using really large instance sizes as you're going. You may want to kind of take those down a little bit. You don't need to keep those running out there. Um, and then you had a choice at that point. So from our standpoint, what AMS is there to do is help give you that insight from what we see. But ultimately, it's a business decision on when you want to take advantage of those things. And then the fourth thing is actually the experiment with guardrails. You know, everybody has good intentions when you're actually moving to the cloud, you're experimenting in the cloud, but um, best intentions sometimes, even the most seasoned people, may accidentally deploy something into a wrong subnet or have too wide open of a security group. So what our goal there is to put those guardrails around it so you can feel comfortable that you're doing that, but you aren't exposing your company's data or any risk from that standpoint. So we will actually interact with you on that standpoint. Say, you sure you really want to do this? It's kind of like, you know, on the screens, the old days. Are you sure you want to exit? Are you sure you want to exit? Same thing here. Yeah, and that was very helpful, Barb. And the guardrails that were put in place, uh, which, which technically had we started doing this, it would have been a big journey to get there. Uh, with, with AMS, we got that right off the bat. Jump start. Yeah. Uh, right. And, and you know, anytime we made a mistake or anybody, you know, even a partner, um, you know, at one point had a, a small boo boo, and, and instantaneously, you know, AMS, AMS caught it. So that was very helpful for us. So not just that the, the guardrail from that perspective, but even when you're trying out a new technology or one of the new AWS services. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, you can call help, you know, support and find out how it's configured. There's a lot, lot of YouTube videos. I mean, don't, don't shy away from YouTube videos. But, you know, calling, picking up the phone and, and you know, opening a ticket and getting, uh, getting on a call with AMS and saying, hey, I'm trying to do this. And, you know, I mean, you've enabled this service in your account. Uh, you know, I want to try this out. And then they partner with you, right? And, and, and again, 
automation, right? They, they work with you in, in, in kind of creating that automation. So now your team is not only, they're not focusing on like, well, geez, how do I need to do the backup on this thing? How do I need to make sure I set up disaster recovery or business continuity and all those? All of those are taken care of with, when, when, with them doing that piece. And now you, you can try out the new technology. Absolutely. And then the last piece was, just remember the migration is the start of the journey. And I think you heard that throughout your, your talk today as far as in what Mike and Arjun were sharing. They didn't stop at the migration. The migration ended last year. It's what you do with it after that, how you build that memory muscle within your organization, where you choose to focus. Um, it's really where your enterprise wants to take that journey and continue to kind of have that flywheel going. That's what fuels that transformation. Um, just for additional breakouts to kind of get an idea of what, of what else is going on, we have another session where we actually will do a kind of a day in the life of operations. Uh, we felt, hey, we, we actually operate a lot of workloads on behalf of customers. And so we wanted to, whether you're using AMS or you're just going to AWS and you're going to operate it, our operations engineers want to share some of the lessons that they've learned that you could maybe take back and apply to your organizations. Uh, another session in there is about a migration. So it's another one of our customers that we're, we actually have a session with. And then there's a leadership focus. So hey, if I'm leading an organization, things that I want to think about. And then the last one is another one of our partners actually um, did a AWS um, migration and they actually did it with leveraging AMS. Um, so it's their story from a different standpoint. It's a partner is doing it. How did it work for them? What did work? What didn't work? So interesting sessions that are kind of related to this if you want to see it. Um, Another slide here is, you know, this is a great week. You have a whole week where you can focus on learning new things about AWS, hearing experiences from other people that are here. But that journey doesn't stop with just this week. We have a number of different ways that you can continue to fuel that learning and that innate curiosity that you have. Um, AWS training and certification for an enterprise has a number of different ways you can approach it. So I would encourage you to continue doing that, whether it's classroom training, online training, reading any of the documentation, continue to watch. We obviously release a lot of new things often, so keep up with it in one of these. And then the, this kind of the last side of bringing it all together. Um, it isn't any one service, nor is it any one organization that helps fuel this. It's there's all of these pieces that come together for customer enablement, whether it's professional services, AWS managed services, AWS IQ, uh, support. We all work together. And as an enterprise, you choose which pieces that you need to use or how much you need to consume. Um, with that, I really want to thank you for actually taking the time today to listen to this. I, I think Arjun and Mike are around as well as I think there's, I, I saw a few other Sally Mae people here in the audience. I'd actually encourage you to, to talk to them and get, get their story if you're in the throes of a migration or just what your experiences were. Um, and then the, the, the last week, can you guys fill out the actual, um, in the mobile app, if you want to actually rate the session here, give us your feedback. Much like anything, that's how we determine what is interesting from an audience standpoint. How can we help get better content out for you? What resonates with you? So please complete the survey. And with that, thank you very much. And please, hands yeah, up for uh, these guys. They did a great job. Thank you.
Thank you, Barb. <laughs>